Shviyas Perak Dalad Mishnah Aleph. The previous Perak taught that a person is generally forbidden to remove stones from his own field during Shemitah because he appears to be clearing the ground for planting. This Isra applies not only to removing stones but also to removing similar objects such as sticks and grasses. This Mishnah will teach us that removing stones and the like were originally permitted to some degree but later became Asr. At first, the Chachamim would say, the Chachamim would say that a person may gather sticks and stones and grasses for a permitted purpose, such as firewood, building, and animal food respectively from his own field, in the way that he gathers these items from another person's field. That is to say, just as one may gather these things from the field of another person because he will not be suspected of clearing the field for planting, so is he allowed to gather them from his own field provided that he does so in a way that avoids suspicion. As Hagas, Hagas, he is therefore allowed to gather large ones from his own field, for since he leaves the small ones, he will not, not be suspected of clearing the field. When gathering sticks or similar items from the field of another person, one may take all types of sticks, both large and small. Since it is unusual to clear someone else's fields for planting, he will not be suspected of working for that purpose. However, when removing sticks from his own field, in which case he would be suspected of intending to clear it for planting, he must avoid giving it that impression which is achieved by taking only large ones by leaving the small ones. The Mishnah's words in the way that he gathers from another person's field do not refer to the method of gathering. Instead, they mean the reason the, to permit gathering in the same is the same in both cases. Just as one may gather anything from a neighbor's field because he will not be suspected of clearing the land, some may want to collect large sticks from his own field for the same reason. Mr. Rabu Ivri Avera, however, when the number of sinners increased who gathered even small items from their fields but claimed that they took only large ones, the sinners were afraid, these Avaryanim were afraid to violate the law openly. They would break the halacha only if they could pretend that they were acting in a way that was motor. This was possible when it was permitted to remove large sticks because they could then take small sticks and claim that in fact they were taking large ones. But once it became forbidden to gather sticks of any size, they lost this means of deception and had no choice but to obey the law. The Chachamim decreed that one may not collect anything except large items from the field of another. Literally, this one gathers from within the field of this one, and this one gathers from within the field of this one. It became forbidden not only to gather large items from one's own field, but also to gather small items from another person's field. Thus, one could only remove large items from the field of another. The Mishnah's conclusion seems to contradict what we learned in the previous Parak Mishnah test, which was matter, which we were matter removing shoulder stones even from one's own field. One solution is that our mission agrees that removing shoulder stones, Avne Kasef, is permitted because they're extremely large. It forbids removing only those that are smaller than shoulder stones. It should be noted that the Rav and the others do not mention stones in their commentaries, implying that this word did not appear in the version of the Mishnah's text. He may not be shown any appreciation by the owner for doing so. For example, the owner may not thank him or promise to do him a favor in return. It was common for a person to collect sticks from his neighbor's field with permission for use as firewood. The Chachamim were thus concerned that neighbors might make an agreement to clear each other's fields by removing all the sticks, even the small ones. To prevent this, the Chachamim decreed that the owner may not show any signs of appreciation to someone who gathers large sticks from his field so that the gatherer would not be encouraged to clear the field properly and remove the small ones as well. And it goes without saying that the owner may not provide him with food. A field owner may not ask someone to collect wood and grass from his field in exchange for food. This is forbidden even if the gatherer will take only large items, which would otherwise be allowed. 
Mishnah Beis. Sadash and Eskavtza Tizra B'Matzeshviyas. Someone who violated the halachas of Shemitah is punished in certain cases by being forbidden to cultivate his field in the year after Shemitah. The Mishnah teaches when this punishment applies and when it does not. So a field that was cleared of thorns during Shemitah may be planted after Shviyas. Although it's forbidden to remove thorns from one's field during Shemitah, the Chachamim did not punish one who did. The forbidden work of removing thorns is not so serious as to warrant punishment because even after the thorns have been removed, the ground is still not ready for planting. However, a field that was improved, it was plowed well, or a field in which animals repent, the, the person plowed his field well, which means that in contrast to all other farmers who plow, plow their fields once, he plowed his field twice. The mission refers to a dangerous time where the authorities obligated farmers to pay a certain amount of produce each year and threatened to kill those who didn't pay. The Chachamim of that period permitted farmers to cultivate their field on Shemitah so that they would have enough produce to pay the tax, because it was a Shasa Sakono. However, they did not allow farmers to do more than necessary. Therefore, they penalized the farmer who plowed his field twice, since a single plowing was enough. Oishani Daira, a field which the animals repent, the owner can find animals to pen in the field where they left droppings that fertilize the soil. A farmer is allowed to enclose his animals in a pen in his field during Shemitah, even though they will deposit their manure there, which fertilizes the soil, provided that he intends to heap the waste into storage piles and not leave it spread out. The missioner refers to a farmer who did not pile up the manure when he was supposed to, but left it when it fell. So, what does the missioner say? So, he may, this may not be planted after Shemitah. He may not plant his field for the entire eighth year. In these two situations, the Chachamim did punish the transgressor. Sadashani Taiva, regarding a field that was improved in violation of Shemitah. We may not eat his produce on Shviyas. According to Beishamai, Shemitah produce may not be eaten if it grew in a field that was illegally cultivated on Shemitah. They derived this from the Pasuk, The uncultivated produce of the land shall be yours to eat, which implies that only the produce of uncultivated land is mutter, whereas the produce of cultivated land is aser. And Beishil say that we may eat its produce. Um, Beishil holds that the Torah does not forbid, forbid eating produce of Shemitah, even if it grew as a result of the forbidden work, they interpret the Pasuk differently. This is Minatayra. Everyone agrees that Midera and it's also to eat Svichin, certain types of produce that grew by themselves during Shemitah. Thus, when Basil say that it's mutter to eat produce that resulted from illegal work, they cannot be referring to spe- species of grains and certain vegetables to which the Isser Svichin applies. Rather, they refer to the fruits of a tree which are not subject to this Isser. Beishamai say that we may not eat the produce of Shemitah with a show of gratitude to the owner because Shemitah produce is ownerless and if you, if there's an owner it shows, you know, if you're showing gratitude to the owner so it shows that you're, he wasn't mafkirit. The produce of Shemitah does not belong to the owner of the land in which it grew. The Torah removes it from his ownership and gives everyone the right to come and take it. For this reason, when someone enters the field of another on Shemitah to take his produce, he may not thank the landowner because he would thus give the false impression that it's the landowner's property. Basil say that we may eat Shemitah produce whether with a show of gratitude or without. Because he's still the Balabas, you're coming into his property, maybe after there's some kind of uh, something that he's still holding on to. Rebuda says that the opinions of Beishamah and Basil are reversed. It's Beishamah who permit expressing gratitude and Basil who forbid doing so. Thus, according to Rebuda, these rulings are among the lenient opinions of Beishamah and the stringent opinions of Basil. Although most of their machleks in Beishamah takes on the more chomerdig position and Basil takes on a more kuladig, Rebuda holds that this dispute is an exception to the rule, as there are a couple of other cases throughout the Mishnahis as well. Mishnah Gimel. We may make agreements on Shemitah to lease plowed fields from Goyim after Shemitah. This is permitted even though one thereby causes the 
Oved Avedazara, the Akum, the Goy, to plow the field on Shemitah, so it'll be ready to be sown the following year. Chakiros is a form of rental in which one pays a certain amount of produce as opposed to a percentage of the crop each year. When the Goy plows the field on Shemitah, he's not considered to be working for the Yid, rather, he's acting out of self interest that he can demand a higher rent. But we may not make an agreement on Shemitah to lease a plowed field the next year from a Yid who's suspected of violating the Hilche Shemitah because he might illegally plow the field during Shemitah. This is forbidden even if the Jewish owner has enough time to plow the field in the following year because we have to suspect that he will plow it on Shemitah. We may give words of encouragement to Goyim who are working on their own land in Eretz Yisrael during Shemitah. For example, one may say be successful or be strong. Since Goyim are not obligated to keep Hilche Shemitah, we may encourage them while they work on the field, you know, keep it up, pump it up though we may not actually do any physical work to help them. But we may not encourage a Yid who is doing so. On the contrary, we are to give Musar and to give Teichacha to a fellow Jew to prevent him from being over the Isser of plowing during Shemitah, working in the field during Shemitah. We may greet Goyim by saying Shalom, which is one of the names of Hashem, even on their pagan holidays, these acts are permitted for the sake of peace, to promote peace between Jews and non-Jews. If not for the promotion of peace, it would be forbidden to encourage a guy to do work with a Yid that a Yid may not do. Likewise, it would be also to greet a guy with the word Shalom, which is the name of Hashem, on his holiday, because he might then commit the sin of thanking his pagan deity, his Avedazara, for having received this honor. For the sake of peace, however, we must always strive for peace between Jews and non-Jews, because we thus follow the ways of Hashem. As written, Hashem is good to all of Harachem of Al-Kalmasov, and also says that uh, for this reason, we also support non-Jews who are poor, visit non-Jews who are sick, and bury non-Jews who are in need of burial, like the Gemara says in Gitmund of Samach Aleph, as we spoke in the Dafiemi over there. Okay. Mishnah Dalit. Hamedel Bazesim, if one thins out the olive trees in his orchard, that is, he removes some trees, thus making the orchard less dense, when trees grow too close, Together, they do not receive enough nourishment from the ground and do not grow as well. Removing some trees is a process called medal, thinning out, which allows the remaining ones to receive the nourishment they need to grow normally. This is similar to pruning, where one removes some branches of a tree in order to let the other branches grow. Therefore, just as pruning is forbidden on Shemitah, so is thinning at an orchard. Our Mishnah, however, permits thinning at an orchard because it refers to someone who is removing the trees, not because he wants to promote the growth of those that remain, but rather because he wants to use the cut trees as firewood. Since his intent is for something that's mutter, this melacha is allowed during Shviyas. However, this activity should be asked for a different reason, because the Chachamim would answer it, Altsmaris Ayim. For example, a person may not remove stones from his land on Shemitah, even if he tends to use them as building material, because he appears to be clearing the ground to make it ready for planting. Why then is one allowed to remove trees from an orchard, <coughs> even for something that's mutter, when one appears to be doing something which is asr, like Medel Bezaisim, it's Maris Ayin, removing some trees so that the remaining ones will grow better. One answer is that the Chacham forbade the appearance of violating Shemitah only if the prohibited activity is common, such as removing stones to make the grounds fit for planting, which is done by everyone who cultivates land. Thinning out an orchard, by contrast, is not such a common activity, is therefore permitted as long as one's intent is for a permitted purpose, such as obtaining firewood. Beishamai, I remember Beishamai say, Yagoyim. Then he may cut the tree down to the ground, but he may not pull out the roots, because one who uproots a tree appears to be preparing the ground for planting. But Basil said the one may even uproot it, for since he's removing only a few trees, he doesn't seem to be preparing, 
the ground for planting. However, Basil agreed that in the case of one who clears his orchard, that is, he removes a relatively large number of trees that are next to each other, he may not do so unless he cuts them down to the ground, he is forbidden to uproot them. Ezehu HaMedel, the Mishnah defines the difference between thinning out and clearing. Ezehu HaMedel, what's thinning out? This is where one removes one or two trees from a group of three trees that are next to one another. Since the clearing will be no larger than the width of two trees, this hill maintained that even if he approaches the trees, he will not appear to be preparing the grounds for planting. Hamachlik, what is clearing? It's where one removes all the three trees that are next to each other. Removing a group of three trees clears a patch of ground that is large enough to be planted. In this case, then, Basil agree that uprooting the trees is forbidden. The Mishnah teaches that the Isra of uprooting in the process of thinning out or clearing according to Beishamai, and, and in the process of clearing according to Beishilal, does not apply in certain situations. In what situation do these rulings apply? Where one uproots trees from his own field, for only then will he be suspected of clearing the grounds for planting. But if one uproots trees from the field of another person, even if he clears the orchard, that is, he removes the three adjacent trees, he may uproot them because one will not be suspected of preparing someone else's fields for planting. It will be assumed that he's uprooting the trees from his neighbor's field because he wants firewood. If one splits off branches from an olive tree, people will cut branches for firewood from olive trees since this did not damage the tree. He may not cover the cut with dirt because the dirt turns into mud, which improves the tree. But he may cover it with stones or straw because stones and straw only prevent the tree from drying out and do not improve it. Similarly, if one cuts through the trunk of a sycamore tree that had been cut before, the trunk-like branches of sycamore trees were cut regularly in order to obtain large beams for building, and then they would grow back. Once a sycamore has been cut, it's called a kairash shikma, which means the shaft of a sycamore. A kairah means a beam. So that's a kairas shikma. A kaitis kairas shikma leichapeb. Afar similarly, if one cuts through the trunk of a sycamore tree, he may not cover the remaining stump with dirt, because the dirt turns into mud, which improves the tree. But he may cover it with stones or straw, because this only prevents the tree from drying out and does not improve it. In kaitis and basula shikma bashvis, one may not cut through the trunk of a virgin sycamore on shmita mabneshi avayda. Because this is forbidden labor. Cutting the trunk of a sycamore for the first time makes it grow back stronger and thicker than before. Thus doing so is also during Shemitah. However, only the first cutting of a sycamore makes it grow back stronger and is therefore prohibited on Shemitah. After it has been cut the first time, one is allowed to cut it again on Shemitah, as the Mishnah implied above. Rav Yudah says, Kedarka Osir, cutting a vesula shikma in the normal way, making the cut within 10 tfachim of the ground is Osir. Because this makes the tree grow back stronger and thicker. Rather, one must raise the level of the cut to a height of at least 10 tvachim. Or cut the tree at ground level, because cutting the tree at these levels does not improve it. According to the Tanakama, though, since the standard practice of cutting a visula shikma is beneficial to the tree, they answer this activity altogether, no matter where the cut is made. Good. If one trims grapevines or cuts reeds, trimming vines and cutting reeds is similar to pruning because it makes the plants grow back thicker and stronger. Therefore, if that is one's purpose, the activity is forbidden during Shemitah, just as pruning is forbidden. The Mishnah, however, deals with someone who trims the vines and cuts the reeds not for the purpose of pruning, but because he wants firewood. Although this person's activity has the appearance of pruning, the Chamim Murmata, because cutting vines and needs for the sake of obtaining firewood, is not done in the same way as cutting them to promote growth. 
When a person seeks to improve the plant, he is careful to make exactly the right type of cut, but when merely wants wood, the type of cut does not matter. Our mission refers to someone who cuts without precision, in which case it is clear that he doesn't intend to improve the plant. And nevertheless, he is permitted to do this only if he wants firewood, because it's possible for even an imprecise cut to promote some growth. So, you must distance the place of the cut, at least the tefach from the trunk, in the case of the grapevine from the ground, in the case of reeds, so that it does not appear to be cutting these plants for the purpose of improving them. Someone who cuts a grapevine to strengthen it makes a cut within the tefach of the trunk, and someone who cuts reeds in order to strengthen it makes a cut within the tefach of the ground. Rebbe holds that when cutting grapevines or reeds on Shemitah, one must make absolutely clear that he's not seeking to strengthen the plants. To achieve this, he must cut the plants more than a tefach from the trunk of the ground, or the ground. According to this Tana, it's not enough to cut them in a haphazard manner, he must also avoid cutting in the regular place. Rabbi Kiva says, but he may cut them in a normal manner, even within the tefach of the trunk of the ground, and he may do so with an axe, a sickle, or a saw, or whatever tool he wants. When Rabbi Kiva says in the normal manner, he doesn't mean the one that may, he does not mean that one may cut the plant in the standard, precise manner of pruning, because even Rabbi Kiva agrees that that's also. Rather, the meaning is that in contrast to Rabbi Yossi, who requires the cut to be at least a tefach from a trunk or the ground, Rabbi Kiva holds that the cut can be less than a tefach away. Also, provided that the cuts made imprecisely, Rabbi Kiva permits using the regular tools. Elon Shanivshach, Kaitranaisabishvi is a branch of a tree that is cracked, may be tied together in Shemitah. Not in a way that will make the parts grow together and heal, but in such a way that it will not split further. If he ties the parts so that they will fuse together, he improves the quality of the tree, which is forbidden. But tying the parts together merely to prevent further splitting is permitted. Mishnah Zion. The Torah permits eating, eating Shemitah produce only after it has become ripe enough for people to eat. The Torah says, The uncultivated produce of the land shall be for you to eat. This teaches that produce of Shemitah is yours to eat and not to waste. Therefore, one may pick and eat Shemitah produce only after it has reached the stage of ripeness at which it would normally be eaten. Picking the produce any earlier is forbidden because eating it then is considered like wasting it. So, for when may we eat fruits of a tree on Shemitah? At what stage of ripeness do they become permissible? The Mishnah refers to only to fruits and not to vegetables or grains because the Chachamim answered eating vegetables and grains that grew on Shemitah. In the case of unripe figs, once they turn red, one may eat them with his bread in the field because at this point they are edible enough to be eaten in the field, but one may not bring them into his house and eat them there because they are not yet fully edible. When figs turn red, it's a sign that they have begun to ripen. People snack on them in the field with some bread, but do not bring them into their houses to eat as part of a regular meal. One is therefore permitted to eat such figs in the field, since that's the normal way of eating them, but one may not eat them formally in the house. The Yerushalmi derives from Psukim in the Torah that some types of produce are permitted in different stages, one stage for the field and one stage for the house. However, once they got enlarged, one may even bring them into his house and eat them because now they are fully edible. And figs like these, figs that have become large, are subject to miser in the other years of the seven-year Shemitah cycle. Produce that grows in Eretz Yisrael must be Maisa must be taken off, that is, the owner must separate trumas and maisas from it. However, produce does not become subject to maiser until it ripens significantly. This stage is known as oinus ha the maisering stage. If produce is picked before then, 
one is never mechuyiv to separate trumas and ma'asos from it. The Mishnah teaches that when figs reach their full size, at which point people eat them, even in the house, they are subject to ma'aser. The chiyiv of ma'aser applies only during the first six years of the seven-year Shemitah cycle. On Shemitah itself, there's no chiyiv of ma'aser because all the produce is hefker. Mishnah ches. Ha'boyser mishahevi ma'am oichel pite basada. In the case of the unripe grapes, once they pro- produce juice upon being squeezed, which is boyser, one may eat them with his bread in the field, but he may not bring them into the house and eat them there. Hivish, kindness of Sech However, once they are Be'usha, Be'usha usually refers to grapes of inferior quality. It is used here to signify grapes that have ripened to the point at which they will begin to deteriorate if left much longer on the vine. Once grapes have reached, reached the stage at which they can be eaten in the normal way, they are called Be'usha. When a grape attains this level, its skin becomes somewhat transparent and the seeds can be seen from the outside. So at this stage, one may even bring them into his house and eat them. And grapes like these, they are ripe and they're subject to meiser and other years of the Shemitah cycle. In the case of olives, once they yield a quarter leg of oil per saw, one may break them and eat them in the field. As olives grow, their oil content increases and this can therefore be used as a sign of their ripeness. When olives reach the size at which a quarter leg of oil can be squeezed out of a saw with them, they are ripe enough to be eaten in the field. A leg is a measure of a volume equivalent to six eggs. A saw is 144 eggs. Olives were broken open and softened before being eaten to reduce their bitterness. Later, when they can yield a half a leg of oil per saw, one may crush them and apply their oil to one's body in the field. Later still, when they have grown into a third of their full size, one may crush them into the field and bring them into his house where he may eat them or apply their oil to his body. Shemitah produce may be used for certain purposes besides for eating, which includes the application of their oil to one's skin or hair. As is the case with eating produce of Shemitah, applying its oil to one's skin is not permitted until the produce has reached the point where it is usually used for that purpose. At the first stage mentioned in our mission, where the olives can yield a quarter leg per saw, people eat their olives in the field, but they do not apply the olive oil to their skin at all. The olives at this stage may thus be eaten in the field of Shemitah, but not applied to the skin even there. At the next stage, when they can yield, yield half a leg per saw, people do apply the oil to the skin in the field, so they may be used for that purpose in the field of Shemitah. At the third stage, when they have grown to a third of their full size, it's normal to bring them into the house and eat them there or apply their oil to the skin. Once One may thus use them for either purpose on Shemitah, even in one's house. Although the Mishnah says one may crush them in the field and bring them into his house, it does not mean that they may be crushed only in the field. The Mishnah's language simply reflects the normal practice, which was to crush the olives before bringing them into the house. And olives like these, which have reached a third of their full size, are subject to Meiser in other years of the seven-year cycle. This and the preceding to Mishnah is taught that figs, grapes, and olives become mutter in more than one stage. All other fruits, however, have only one stage. Regarding all other fruits of a tree, the stage at which they become subject to Meiser is the stage at which they become permitted to be eaten on Shemitah. Only figs, grapes, and olives become mutter on Shemitah to some degree before the before the Chiv of Meiser, whereas all other fruits do not become permitted at all before then. Figs, grapes, and olives were commonly eaten in the field before ripening, but other fruits were not eaten at all while still unripe. Thus, before they ripen, other fruits may not be eaten even in the field, and after they ripen, they may be eaten even in the house. The Oynas HaMaisus for several types of produce are defined in the first paragraph of Mishnah's Maisus, Mr. Shemul Gatzer. 
Mishnah Yud. The Torah forbids wasting the produce of Shemitah. For this reason, it's prohibited to cut down a tree that has started to bear fruit because one thereby wastes the fruit by preventing them from turning ripe. The Mishnah discusses at what point the tree is considered to be bearing fruit and may no longer be chopped down. <coughs> Before the tree bears fruit, cutting it down is mutter because one does not destroy any fruit in the process. Even if the tree is thus prevented from producing fruit in the future, this is of no concern. It is only after the fruit had started to grow that the iser applies. Besides the shpita iser, there is also an iser against cutting down fruit trees in any year. The general iser will be discussed in the Mishnah. So may Emma say and cuts in Elam Bashvias for when we may not cut down a fruit tree during Shemitah, Beshama and Beshama say, Kali Elam Mishayoti, we may not cut down any fruit tree from the time that it brings forth its first leaves in the spring. Even at this early stage, the tree is treated as though it already bears fruit, so it may not be cut down. The carob trees may not be cut down from the time that the carobs hang down because of their weight. Grapevines may not be cut down from the time that the seeds form inside the grapes. Olive trees may not be cut down from the time that they blossom. And any other types of trees may not be cut down from the time that it begins to produce fruit. This is when the blossoms fall off and the fruit can be seen. But once the fruit of any tree reaches the the time when it's it may be cut down. At that point, when the fruit is already ripe and no longer needs a tree, cutting down the tree does not destroy them and is therefore permitted. Besides, for the Isra of cutting down a tree in Shemitah, there's also an Isra against cutting down a fruit tree in any year. The Torah says, You shall not destroy its tree by waving an axe against it because you eat from it and you should not cut it down. The Isra applies only to a tree that produces a significant amount of fruit. If a tree is old and produces so little that it is no longer worth the work needed for its care, one is allowed to chop it down. During Shemitah, by contrast, cutting down a fruit-bearing tree is forbidden regardless of how much it produces, simply because Shemitah fruits will be ruined. Another practical difference between the two Isurim is that if a tree is worth more than it's cut down because of its wood, then when it's standing, one may chop it down in other years, but not during Shemitah. However, this general Isur applies only if the tree produces a significant amount of fruit. How much olives must there be in an olive tree? For one to be prohibited to cut it down, Reva, a quarter of a kav. If the tree cannot produce a quarter of a kav of olives, cutting it down is permitted in a non shmita year. A kav is a measure of volume equivalent to 24 eggs, thus a quarter of a kav is six eggs. Other trees, whose fruit is not as important as olives, have different limits. For example, cutting down a date palm is permitted unless it produces an entire kav of dates. Rabshim Gamliel says, There's no set amount, rather, it all depends on the olive tree. This means that if a tree produces olives of high quality, it may not be destroyed even if its yield is less than a quarter kav, and if its olives are of poor quality, it may be destroyed even if it yields more than that amount. Ad kan.